Well, as we look at the story here of Israel, God's great nation, to be honest, they should have had, they should have had some FOMO. They should have been a little afraid of missing out on God's promises for them. Because when we look through the Bible, and as you've been following along, or if you're just with us, I'm going to teach this to you anyways, is that God's promises and God's blessings are actually attached to conditions. Let me say that again. Uh, God's blessings and God's promises are attached to conditions. When you're reading through Scripture, what you discover is that God wants to bless. That, that God wants to work in your life and in the lives of the people around you in a great and fantastic way. Uh, but for Him to show up in a way that only God can show up, uh, there are conditions that w- which must be met. In fact, we run into this at the very beginning, towards the very beginning of the Bible, and the first book of the Bible we call Genesis in chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. And I want to show you here God's promise to Abraham and the conditions that are attached. Check this out here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God is calling Abraham here and he says to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So look at what God is promising here. God is promising Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and you are going to be the source of all blessing to all the nations. But there is a condition attached to this. Abraham here, he has to leave. He has to give up everything. He has to, by faith, leave his father's wealth, has to leave his father's religion, has to leave his father's land, and he has to go to the place in which God has designated for him. Now, if you're Abraham and you're hearing this call from God, you've got some FOMO going on. You are afraid of missing out on something here. I mean, think about it. Do you not believe that Abraham had to be afraid of missing out on life with his father or even his father's wealth. We know that his father was relatively wealthy because his father had land. He had cattle, right? He had a lot of kids. Or what about if, if this is really a call from God? What if he doesn't answer? What will Abraham be missing out on here? He's going to be missing out on a chance to be a blessing to father nations. To change the world, if this is a real promise from God. What we know and what we've learned as we've studied together here is that Abraham decides to fear God more than even what he'll miss out on by leaving his father's house. Abraham becomes what we would call a great example of faith. Not that he was faithful in all things or that he made always the right decisions, but he did make the decision to leave and to go and to trust that God was going to bless him and he was going to use him to be a blessing. The second promise we are given, or I just want us to take a look at, is in 2 Samuel 7, 9-17. And here God is speaking to David. David has become king and God is making a promise to David because David wants to build a temple. 
And God is just saying, not yet, David, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to promise you something better, but don't do it. And here's what God promises David. He says, I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. And so check out the promise, check out the blessing here. I want you to see it. God promises David here that he is going to give him a great name. He promised Abraham a great nation. David is now the recipient of this great nation. And God tells David, I'm going to make you a great name. And here's how your name is going to be great. That your son, your offspring are going to continue to rule. Not only are they going to continue to rule, but they will rule forever. This is an everlasting kingdom that is going to be placed on your name. He says, David, I am going to take care of your children. And I will actually even be a father to these children. And this is going to last forever. Now, on one hand, this seems to be an unconditional unconditional promise. Like, no matter what happens, David, I promise that your kingdom is going to continue. But, There is a small condition here. He says, David, if your sons, if if they don't obey, if they don't exhibit faith, they're not going to experience the blessing. They're going to be punished. I'm not going to be able to use them or I just won't use them in the same way in which I've used you, in which I used Abraham and a number of other people. So God basically promises to punish if they disobey. Well, it only takes about a generation to start to mess things up a little bit here. And for us to see that God is good on his word. David's son Solomon becomes king and he begins to rule over Israel. And Israel is still really powerful. They've got it going for him. Saul is accumulating um, a lot of wealth. Uh, He's become famous. He's uh, become famous not only for his wealth, but for his wisdom. But towards the end of his life, Right. He, he just seems to seems to put God to the test. He's like most of our children. He's like us. Right. I don't know about you, but like when um, you are told like there are perimeters in which you have to keep uh, or rules in which you have to keep even to receive blessings from your parents or blessings from other people. Like you will just walk right up to the line, won't you? If you have children, you know, this is true. Hey, stay off the table, right? Often I just have discovered gets translated to, hey, why don't you climb up on the table and jump up and down, right? Or quit trying to pick your sister up means, hey, why don't you try to pick her up by her neck, right? This is this is just kind of how we are wired. We typically just kind of we see a rule, um, we see promises, we see conditions. And we just rebel against them. And well, by the end of Solomon's life, he begins to he begins to change a little bit and he begins to, to mess things up. But you see, Solomon knew what he was supposed to do as king, not only as king, but as an Israelite. 
you have the book of Deuteronomy. What the book of Deuteronomy is, it's a sermon to the people of God to tell them this is who you're going to be so that you'll experience the blessings of God. And in fact, there's a little section in there. There's a chapter in there in chapter 17 that specifically speaks to kings. And what it tells kings is basically two things. It says, kings, do not become like Egypt. And kings, do not marry a lot of foreign wives. Now, why would God not want the kings of Israel to become like the kings of Egypt? Two reasons. The kings of Egypt believed that they were gods, and so all the wealth and power they accumulated had to do with their status and their success. And the more that they had, the more that they were able to trust in that and receive glory from other people. And so that they could show off their kingdom and say, look at what I have done and look at who great, how great I am. God actually warns not just kings to not do this in Deuteronomy, but in Deuteronomy 8, he tells all of Israel not to do this. Because God freed them from Egypt. He says, not, don't, remember, don't forget that it is not by your power or your strength that you have your wealth, your prosperity, and all of this land. He said, but rather, Israel, when you gain wealth, when you gain power, when you are blessed in that way, you must remember that all of this has come from God. And so don't go flaunting your wealth, don't go flaunting your power in front of people, showing them how great you are. And yet, Solomon towards the end of his life, you see it in Kings chapter 10. He invites the Queen of Sheba and, and you can just see it like it's in a movie, him taking her through the kingdom and showing her, look at everything that I've accumulated. Look how, how great and how wise and how powerful I am. He forgets to tell her, look at how great, how wise and how powerful God is. Look at what God has done in my life. Look how much grace He has given me. It's dangerous to become like a pharaoh in Egypt, to think that it's all up to you, that you've gained it all in your power. You know why? Because when it's all by your hands, when it's all for you, you will start to use people. The people in your kingdom, they exist, therefore to make you more powerful, to make you more wealthy. And this is what happens in Solomon's kingdom. He enslaves some people. Oh, by the way, they were slaves in Egypt. They were never supposed to be slaves again. Yet he starts to enslave people. He starts to tax people heavily. And the kingdom begins to grow against him. Now, why the foreign wives? Why not any foreign wives? Really simple. You didn't take foreign wives because these ladies from foreign countries, they would come in and men, you know, we all get weak in the knees um, and begin to change our mind. Sometimes and begin to worship and think things we shouldn't um, when a pretty girl is in front of us. The foreign wives are connected to foreign gods. That's the only reason. It had nothing to do with race or nationality. You can see in the promises here of God that God wants to bless the nations. God loves the nations. God loves all people, black, white, yellow, purple, whatever. He loves Americans. He loves Egyptians. But for this blessing to continue and to move forward, God has to be worshipped. These things 
has to be known and done. So what happens here is that Solomon begins to fail in both of these areas in his life by the end of his life. And wouldn't you know it, Solomon's sons, they follow suit. Like sons like the father. Rehoboam takes over after Solomon dies and a group of people come to Rehoboam and they tell Rehoboam, we're taxed too heavily, we're worked too hard, can you give us some relief? Rehoboam, as a new king, begins to think about this and he goes to his, his father's counselors. And he asks his father's counselors, he says, hey, what, what should I do here? Now, these are the elders. These are the people who have seen the success and the failures of Solomon. And so they've had some time to think about it. These are people who have walked with God for some time. And here's what they tell Rehoboam in 1 Kings chapter 12. So the older, the older counselors replied, If you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. The ESV says that if you serve them, they will serve you. If you have their best interest in mind, if you actually care about them, they will they will invest in the kingdom. They will stay unified. Now, Rehoboam isn't so sure about this. And so he goes and asks another set of advisors. These are people that he's grown up with. These are a younger group. They haven't had the experience of the older Ones and just check out what they have to say to Rehoboam. The younger ones, the younger counselors said this. This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My finger is thicker than your father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Whose advice do you think Rehoboam took? He went with his friends. Right? So he made labor more difficult, taxed them more. And wouldn't you know it, there was a person to lead a rebellion. Uh, Solomon had put a, name, a guy by the name of Jeroboam over many of his workers. And Jeroboam was looking for a place in God's kingdom at this point and wanted to leave, lead. And he saw a vacuum that could be filled. And so... He gets up, he, he, he brings together basically a lot of the people in the kingdom and he says, now's their time. Now's their time to leave. Now's their time to split. Now's their time to get out of the kingdom. And Jeroboam gets the people together and there's a split in the kingdom. Jeroboam basically takes the northern half and then Rehoboam gets the southern half. The northern half becomes known as Israel. The southern half becomes known as Judah. And so now you have the country split. And Rehoboam here is beginning to experience the punishment of God. The conditions for the kings were not to treat their people like Egypt, not to marry foreign wives. And you see Rehoboam here. He wants to be Egypt. And so you see God saying, all right, Rehoboam, you're not going to experience the blessing here. Now, as you read, you think, good for you, Jeroboam. Way to to stick up for your people. Way to bring them out under this harsh rule. Uh, He seems more like Moses at this point. And, And yet you continue to read and you discover that he becomes like Aaron. You see, Jeroboam was afraid that the country would be reunited and that he would 
lose power. And so instead of reminding the people that they were to worship the God who had brought them out of Egypt, Yahweh was his name, that instead they were going to worship the golden calves. And he taught them that this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. This is who you are to worship. And so he changed the entire structure of worship and the people and the, and the God in which they were supposed to rely on through this. And what you see are devastating consequences for Jeroboam and Israel. You see the northern kingdom, Israel, lasts a few more generations. It lasts about 200 years. Within about a 200 years time, as they continue to go to war with Judah and a number of other places after years passed and try to protect themselves within 200 years, the Assyrians move in to Israel. The Assyrians were much more brutal than Jeroboam ever had thought, or Rehoboam ever thought of being to them. And they find themselves as the very thing that they hoped to, to have avoided. They find themselves as slaves again. Judah held on for a little longer. Uh, Judah held on for about 345 years. Uh, they had kings that actually did, ex- did um, follow the Lord and establish worship in the way that it should be worshipped. So they were able to just to hold on uh, to their kingdom and to the blessing that God had for them for a little longer. But after about 345 years, uh, they too ceased to exist as the Babylonians came in and marched them off and dispersed them them, and actually turned them into slaves, the very thing that they were trying to get others to do for them. So what's going on here? If you think about it or followed me, that one promise to David, it's unconditional, right? And yet you have... These kingdoms, they're split, they're dispersing. It seems like God's great nation is gone, that all hope is lost. And if you're not a careful reader, you will miss a couple one-liners in First and Second Kings. And here they are. I want to show them to you because they help us make sense of the story. The first is in First Kings twelve twenty-four, And um, this is right after... The northern kingdom splits from the southern. And Rehoboam, he wants to go to war and he wants to get him back right away. He's got the power. He believes he's got the ability to do it right now and right then. And he wants it back. And a prophet of God is told to tell Rehoboam this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Do not fight against your relatives, the Israelites. Go back home. For what has happened is my doing. And so God tells Rehoboam, I know this is a mess. I know the kingdom is split, but this is not outside of my control. Like I've, I've got this under my control. I know what I do, I'm doing. I know what's going on. Yes, you've made a mistake, Rehoboam, and you're suffering the consequences, but I got this. Still in charge. When you get to the end of Second Kings, what you discover is that it seems like there's... No one in charge but the Babylonians. And yet we're given another verse here at the second king at the end of Second Kings that gives us some insight. It says, In the thirty seventh year of exile of the king of of exile of King of Jerohotin, 
of Judah, evil Murdoch, ascended to, ben, ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoiachin and released him from prison on April 2nd of that year. So here's what's going on. Babylon, the Babylon had come in to Judah, the southern kingdom. The kings of Judah were the descendants of David. Jehoiachin was put into prison at the end of 2 Kings and you feel like all hope is lost. He's, he's David's son. He's the ruler that's going to continue. Like how is God going to make good on his promise? And yet at the end of 2 Kings, what you are told is, hey, this king's kept alive. This king is actually being fed by the Babylonian empire. We know that he's going to marry and he's going to have kids and so that there's hope. Like that God can make good on his promise. That God is still in charge in the midst of the turmoil. That not all hope is lost. Now, how does this fit into the Bible? How does this fit into our story here? Jesus himself. Jesus himself is a grandson of Jehoiachin. Jesus himself is the person who completes this story. If you remember, David is told, hey, I'm going to establish your kingdom through your son. Jesus is a son of David. This is why in both Matthew and Luke, you have this genealogy given to you. What the writers want you to see here is that the line of Jesus' parents come from David. The second thing that you need to see here as we know the story and we, we place our trust in God is that David was told that his name was going to be famous. His, his, children's, his children were going to be famous. Is there, any, is there any name more famous than Jesus? Anybody know anybody more famous than Jesus? I want to make your name great, David. No. That's a pretty interesting promise that God is keeping there. What about his experience his kingdom is going to be established forever. Like, how do you establish a kingdom forever? How do you do that? Israel certainly has had its ups and downs. David's family certainly has not been on the throne as it continues. But God's kingdom is established forever through Jesus, who is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father and who will someday come and return. It's a forever kingdom, all in Jesus. In Jesus, we are told that God blesses the world. Jesus is God's blessing to us as he forgives sins, conquers death, and shows us the love of God for us and all of humanity. Are you following? This is pretty cool. Like, this is what the Bible teaches here. Like, this is the story. This is the ultimate narrative here that I'm giving you. If you understand this, like our, our faith, I believe that our faith can be increased. And we can have some faith like Abraham or like David here. Now, I do want, I told you the story here and I want some application for us all. And I'm going to conclude with a couple points of application here. And here it is is that we should have some godly FOMO. We should have some godly FOMO. God makes good on His blessings. God makes good on His promises. 
Yet there are conditions still to God's blessings and to God's promises. God, God here tells us that He will bless us and that He will use us as a blessing. But we can miss out on the opportunities to both bless other people and to receive God's blessing. So if you're taking notes and if you just want to see this first point, and I just want to remind you of this, that we actually have the power to bless or to even curse other people by the decisions that we make. You have the power to bless or curse by the decisions you make. Right? You're kind of like Rehoboam. Yes, you're not a king. No, you don't have the wealth that Rehoboam had. But you have a decision to bless other people or to curse other people. You have the decision to either bless your family, to make decisions that are going to empower them, going to encourage them, that are going to push them forward. And you have decisions to make their, that can make their life extremely hard for them, to make them want to push away from you. Same thing at work. You have decisions to make that can bless your coworkers. You have decisions to make that can bless your neighbors. Right? And here's the thing what I believe about most of you, right? If you are following Christ, even if you're not, right, you want to bless people. Like you want to help people. This is something that you want to do. And God is telling us here, if we trust him, that like you have the power to do this. Not only do you have the power to, to do this now, but the decisions that you make can affect the future. That you can, you can change the future. The people who follow Jeroboam, the people who followed Rehoboam, their futures were changed and they actually even missed out on God's blessings because of the decisions that were made by them. So these decisions are, that we make are extremely important if we're going to experience what God has for us. Maybe you're young, right? We've got graduates here. and um, So you're not necessarily thinking about your future spouse right now. I don't know. You might be. Uh, but do you realize that like, we are still called as Christians uh, to marry other Christians? That your future will be better. Right? If you marry those people who share the same faith that you share. Maybe uh, you're here this morning and like Rehoboam, you're over people in your business or at your workplace. The decisions that you make can either bless or curse them. It can bless or curse their family. It can depend on how much you pay them or when you give them time off or all of those sorts of things. Uh, Maybe uh, you're here this morning and you're not over everybody you're under somebody but you have to make decisions on when to work and when not to work because you have a family and a future to invest in here you can bless or curse by some of those decisions that you make if you're having trouble making them seek wise counsel seek godly counsel the problem with Rehoboam is he didn't care about godly counsel He wanted to know what his buddies thought. Second thing I want to encourage you to do here, or just to kind of realize, is that we can miss out on God's blessings for us. So we cannot bless other people, or we can bless other people, 
by trusting in God and believing in God, we can also miss out on God's blessings for us. God's blessings are conditional, right? In other words, like, God doesn't, God doesn't really, like, owe us anything. God wants to give us everything, but he doesn't owe us anything. His blessings are conditional and are contingent upon our faithfulness to him here. We have to exhibit faith to receive the blessings of God. I sometimes wonder uh, if Christians, like if they've ever read Matthew 25, because I think so many of us, uh, we act like we've never read it. We act like we don't know that that's there in the Bible. We think like God doesn't really care if we take our faith or our life serious at all. And yet you have Jesus in Matthew 25 telling two incredible Incredible parables that are extremely convicting. I'm only going to tell you one, and it's the parable of the talents. And basically in it, Jesus says that there's a master, and this master gives three different people, three different uh, 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 worths of talents. A talent was basically a coin, but it actually even it becomes an, uh, a wonderful analogy for the gifts that you have as a person. But he says he gave one person five talents. And he said he gave the next person three talents. And he gave another person one talent. And he said the person with five talents, they go and he invests the five talents and he doubles it. The person with, excuse me, he gave two talents. The person he gave two talents goes and he doubles it. And then the person with one talent, he goes and he just hides. He just stores it away. He doesn't use it at all. doesn't do anything with it. Um, and when the master comes back, he, take, he asks the person with five talents, he says, what did you do with it? What did you do with your life? And he says, I, I doubled everything that you gave me. And the master says, this is, this is great. I'm going to give you so much more. Thank you, but you're getting more than this. He goes to the person he gave two talents. He said, what did you do with it? He said, I doubled it. And the master says, I'm going to give you more. More than you ever imagined. And then he goes to the person with one talent. And he says, what did you do with it? Uh, he said, I, I hit it. Here, here you go. You can have it back. And the master says, I, I'm, I'm sorry? You, you didn't do anything? No. And then the master actually asks them, he says, get out of my presence. And then he takes the talent and he gives it to somebody else. He looks at the other servants, the ones with five and the ones with two. And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but like, that's what I want to hear. Aren't you afraid of missing out on that? Hearing that from God? Well done, good and faithful servant. Because here's the thing, like, God is going to bless. Like, he's, he's going to give that, like, He wants to give these talents away. It's interesting when Peter, when Peter uh, confesses Jesus to be the Christ, to be Lord, to be God, to be worthy of following, to be worthy of worshiping. 
Jesus looks at Peter and he says, on this rock I will build my church. On this rock I will build my church. Now, if you noticed on the first point, for the first point of application, I made it very personal, but here I made it corporate. We can miss out on God's blessings for us. Here's what God promises to do. God promises to build His church. And we can miss out on being part of that. If we're not faithful, if we don't use what God has given us to serve Him, if we don't hear from God and answer the call, if we don't believe that God has blessings for us and store for us, but we've got to obey. All of these things are so important for us because we can actually decide to miss out on what God is doing. We can be a church that misses out. You can be an individual that misses out. So how do you, how do you know that you can be a part of this and not miss out? It's really simple. You've, you've got to be like Abraham. You've got to be like David. You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith that God can bless you. That God can bless you when you trust in Him. That God is worth following, even when it's hard. You've got to believe that God is wanting you to bless someone else. My guess is maybe some of you have been trying to figure out if God has been telling you to do something for somebody else. Right? Uh, but it's going to be hard. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And it has popped in your head during this message. Well, maybe God is telling you it's time and faith to step out and to be obedient so that you can receive God's blessing. Maybe it's time for some of you to take your faith more seriously. Now is the time to decide to do it. Right. You see, God's promises come with conditions. And the condition is that we have to make the decision to trust God. So church, I'm going to challenge you to do that. It can change your future. For others of you here this morning, right? you've never made a decision that can change your future. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ changes your future. And I want to challenge you to make a decision this morning to decide to allow your future to be changed. You see, God wants to bless you. That's why He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to show His love for you. He knows that we decide all the time not to have faith, not to believe, not to obey. This is why we're told in the Bible all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We know that the wages of this sin is death. These are the conditions to sin. You sin, you receive death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life for all of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ and trust in Him. And allow Jesus to not only forgive you of your sins, but to cleanse you of it. So, my question for you is, will you decide this morning? To make a decision that can change your life 
forever? Will you receive Jesus as Savior? Will you turn from your sin and will you turn to Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, I just give you thanks. I give you thanks because although you are in control, that you give us the ability and the opportunity to make decisions that change our futures. Father, this morning I pray that you give us all um, a godly FOMO, a godly fear of missing out. I pray, Father, that we fear, we fear missing out on the right things. We fear, Father, of missing out on the blessings that you have in store for us. Because we're not willing to step out in faithfulness. I pray, Father, that we are, are more afraid of what will happen if we don't exhibit faith than if what we do. I pray, Father, that people in our church this morning are challenged to decide to do something to bless someone else. It can be in their home, it can be in their workplace, it can be their neighbor, it can be somebody here in the church. Father, I pray that somebody here this morning decides to follow you for the first time, to change their future, to change their eternity. So we ask, Father, that just by the power of your Spirit that you move them to make this decision. To turn from their sin. To ask you to forgive them. To receive forgiveness and eternal life. And to follow you as Lord. To take you seriously trust in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.